1: Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com/lhrbook. That's clnsradio.com/lhrbook. But for now, we know why you're here to listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat, brought to you by Lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Happy spring, everyone. Well, sort of. Maybe not if you're living in the Boston area, so maybe a little more politically correct. Happy March Madness season. I'm sure you've been glued to your television the last few days. Glad that you're taking the time out of your day and your viewing of college basketball to listen to us. Yes, this is Larry H. Russell, and you're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, powered by, as usual, Peak Organic Brewing Company and lynda.com. Want to learn a new skill and don't have much time to do so because you're too busy, oh, I don't know, feverishly following college hoops alongside your bracket? Well, take advantage of this great opportunity and sign up for a free 10-day trial with lynda.com and take any online course you wish that they offer. Just log on to www.lynda.com. That's lynda.com knows you can take some courses that will help you better crunch the numbers which in turn may lead you to not toss your bracket in the garbage can after the first weekend of the ncaa tournament or deleting it from your ipad or whoever we do it digitally now but it can't hurt definitely be prudent to you our value audience to so check that out but for now you're here you're here probably because like me you want to check out the boston Celtics and their continued improbable push for one of these final two playoff positions Or is it one of the final three with the way the Milwaukee Bucks have been playing since the trade deadline? They've been horrendous. I think it is. They've been just awful since that trade. And they're just three games up in the loss column now on the Celts with two games left to play on the schedule against Boston. So keep an eye on that. That'll be very interesting. But that's still a bit of ways ahead. Let's look back on this week. A very interesting week indeed for the Celtics. And a week where... I mean, did everything go kind of as scripted? Going all the way back to Monday night, Boston took care of business. Very encouraging, and not that they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, but how they did it. There were a lot of people, myself leading the way, fearing that game as a trap game. Had all the makings of one, and that was a, it was condensed between a lot of games. Boston was coming off a huge win, maybe their biggest win of the season against Indiana in Indiana on a back-to-back the game was played on a Monday night. You know, those dreaded Monday nights with a home crowd isn't as exactly as energetic as they are, say, on a Friday night in the city. You know, no one likes Mondays. But the team came out ready. They got off to a huge start. They never looked back. And every week on this show, it seems like there's something I admire so much about Brad Stevensby, his, his management of the roster, which I would say lacked a balance uh, throughout much of the season, particularly early on. The way he's kept everyone on this roster, 1 through 15, engaged in that not— you got guys up and down this roster where they've all had their moments one night or the other or in a, in a few stretch of games. You saw guys like Jonas Terepko got off to a good start here in Boston. Gigi Datomi's D- D- had his moments. Uh, Phil Pressy last week helped this team in a pinch in some big games. So you had that with Stevens, and now another is just how prepared he has this team on a night-in-and-night-out basis. You can't say about Brad Stevens he doesn't have his team ready to play. They, The Celtics bring it every single night, be it against the best team in the NBA in Golden State in a buzzed-up contest or maybe a run-of-the-mill game on a cold, dull, dreary Monday evening in Boston against a complete drag in Philadelphia. There have been very few games. I mean, you can go back to Houston, which was like the second or third game in the season, or that Cleveland game a few weeks ago where this team wasn't really ready to play. I mean, that's about it. The Celtics are ready night in and night out. And once again, it's pretty hard not to give the coach credit for that. The Celtics did their job. They took care of business against Philadelphia and did so in a manner that was more than satisfying. There were no miracles that were needed that night. Certainly makes me feel a lot better when the Celtics play the Knicks down at Madison Square Garden up ahead on Friday night here in a game they most certainly need to keep up with the playoff pack. So the week got off right. Boston stretched their winning streak to five, which was the longest of the Brad Stevens era. But then was it expected? Boston has dropped the last two. Two tough road contests in Oklahoma City and then Friday night when I thought the Celtics were in a real bad spot on the road against an irate San Antonio Spurs team. They were certainly seething after a performance they had against the Knicks earlier in the week, which led Greg Popovich to call them out. Never good to catch the five-time world champions in their house, all fired up and ready to go. And you saw that on Friday, which were the Spurs. They really imposed their will on that Celtics team. And predictably, though, as they have done all season, the Celtics didn't give up in that contest. They did fight back, but that's a hole that's damn near impossible to get out of, so... Loss on Friday, they lost back on Wednesday against Russell Westbrook, who, shocker, filled up the stat sheet in a Thunder victory. But all in all, I think this week for the Celtics, I mean, it was fine. As stated, they did what they had to do against Philadelphia. They played, you know, not well, but okay in two losses against the two best teams in the NBA on the road. They didn't exactly, they didn't lay an egg. When we talk about it all the time, being that this is still a process for the Boston Celtics. And it's easy to lose track of that process now that we're in this playoff push for the final, one of these final playoff spots. But we talk about the process and how important it is to see improvement from the team and improvement from certain individuals in the team. You go back to Wednesday, Marcus Smart returning to his hometown, had unequivocally his best game as a professional, particularly on the offensive end there were two plays that really stood out to me in which he was able to get the ball. One in midair where he corralled two loose balls and in milliseconds, and all-in-one motion, he was able to fire the ball, head up the court, which led to two Crowd or gimme layups. I mean, those were two great, great plays. Not only does it show his athleticism, but his court awareness. I thought those plays, they they were breathtaking. They were, dare we say it, bird-esque. I mean, it was, so it was great to see it was good to see Smart demonstrate his skills in which in a game which clearly meant a lot to him as he was playing in front of his home crowd. And he gave what I thought was a great glimpse of what he is and what he can become. I mean, you, I have blogged about this back on Thursday. It's just amazing how impatient some people can be. They watch a 20-year-old rookie point guard for a few months and draw these conclusions and label these backhanded compliments on the kid that he's likely to be, quote, you know a defensive role player, unquote. And as I blogged about back on Thursday, these are probably the same people that rue the Rick Bettino decision of trading Chauncey Billups after 51 games. I mean, people, point guards, particularly 20 year olds, that's the one position in the NBA where it truly takes a substantial amount of time to develop. In the case of Billups, it took him years. It took him about four or five seasons. It wasn't until the 2001 2002 campaign where he teamed up with Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, where he actually really began to show that he could even be a legitimate starter in the NBA. And then, of course, he signed with Detroit that following season on just a mid-level exception deal, by the way, and that's where he went to go on to have his borderline NBA Hall of Fame career with the Pistons, and even in Denver, he had some real nice years as a good player. But he had Billups, other rookies who really weren't themselves right the way, either Gary Payton, Darren Williams, even John Wall, in a way, he was a bit inefficient for a while, even though he was putting up some decent numbers. So it takes time in, in, with that position, particularly offensively. And it will was smart. And first off, anyway, he's already shown that he's an NBA player right now with his defense. But in terms of getting to that level where he can develop into all-around an upper echelon point guard in this league, let's give it more than a few months. He absolutely has the skills and most certainly has a competitive spirit where he can identify deficiencies in his game and will likely be motivated enough to put the appropriate amount of practice time now and more importantly in the offseason to enhance these certain aspects of his games. So that game Wednesday was great to see and was a real preview in what he can truly develop into, which I believe will be almost a surely a borderline all-star level, maybe an all-star level. Great to see, definitely intrigued to see his further development and improvement. Other players as well have shown great progress this year. They had some good games this last week, albeit losses. Dre Crowder continues to do what he does. Avery Bradley, he's really come around. He's really grasped his team by the horns, I'd say. It almost looks like from afar, he has become the leader of this team. He most definitely... Now that he's been fortunate enough to be healthy for much of the season, he's definitely taken a leap this year, particularly offensively. And while we're discussing players being healthy, or not healthy for that matter, and players showing improvement, I do have to ask, is it time to be concerned with Kelly Olenek? Before his injury, we were talking about improvement, and while he wasn't setting the world on fire, he was definitely carrying the momentum that he created for himself at the end of last season and was carving himself a nice, solid season with some solid performances. But since the injury, he has really struggled. Friday night against San Antonio, 0 for 6. And now there have been a few games like that since he's return. And he's looked hurt. He's at least looked a step slow. His shot is definitely a lot flatter. And I do begin to wonder, is this not a developmental thing or even a mental thing, but is this a health issue? And if it is, would it not be beneficial for him To maybe sit down again and heal up appropriately. Because at least from what I've seen, he's doing not just himself harm by playing the way he has, but the team harm. So I'd definitely like to believe Boston can fill his minutes more than sufficiently enough with other players on this roster. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm here. I'm not there. I don't know the true extent of his physical well-being. But that's just an observation I'm having. And maybe I'm wrong. And I truly hope I am because... Kelly O'Linick, like many players, is very important for the Celtics now and that much more important going forward. Because these Celts, as we know, are not just about now and this final stretch drive for the postseason, but how they will build up their next great team for the future. a future and now, which we will discuss, we've got legendary basketball scribe Jackie McMullen here of ESPN Boston to discuss that. First, let's pause briefly for station identification. This is Jeff Kane, and thank you for listening to CLNS Radio, powered by lynda.com, Peak Organic Brewing Company, and most importantly, you, our loyal listeners. Patriots Nation and NFL fans, you know free agency is upon us. CLS Radio will have you covered with our online content on CLSRadio.com as well as on the Patriots Beat Podcast, available for download every Friday on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't let your head spin out of control. Get the NFL coverage and Patriots coverage you need right here on CLS Radio and clsradio.com. Thanks, Jeff. Yes, head on over to clnsradio.com for all your Patriots news and free agency and get ready for the NFL Draft, which is right around the corner. Also right around the corner and on the line right now, best-selling author and award-winning sports columnist, Jackie McMullen at ESPN Boston. Jackie, the recent success of the team over the past, maybe a month or so, even six weeks, do you think it's changed the vantage point at all from the standpoint of the organization? Is this rebuild now a little bit? ahead of schedule, dare we say?
0: Well, I don't think they're going to do anything differently um, in terms of their, the way they're going to approach this. I was just talking to Danny Ainge the other day about this, and you know, you still, I think they're still going to rebuild through the drafts and through trading, and the reason being because I did ask, I pressed Danny the other day, tell me the one name free agent that has ever come to Boston, and there isn't one. I mean, unless you want to count Xavier McDaniel or Dominique Wilkins past his prime or Dana Barrow. That's the list you're looking at. So it's very difficult for the Celtics to draw a free agent to this city for whatever reason. Cold weather, um, I think the past racial history has hopefully been put to rest. Uh, so it's still going to be about Danny accumulating assets, trading for players, and drafting smartly uh, in the draft. So whether they make the playoffs as the eighth seed or whether they end up on the uh, on the fringe and, and being involved in the lottery, I don't think that changes.
1: I definitely want to touch on that um, mention that you mentioned how there's been no big-name free agents that have come to Boston. So I actually just wrote about that today. But I also sort of definitely want to finish up on those thoughts of – and you mentioned how you are talking about Danny Ainge and even the ownership's plans – and we all know that they're going to be aggressive if a tr- if the opportunity for a transformative move takes place this summer. Like, you know, if God forbid some, say, Superstar X becomes available, no question in everyone's mind that they're going to accumulate those poker chips and try to sell the product to you know, the, the opposing team. But that might not be possible this summer. There really isn't doesn't seem to be any uh, star players that are going to be, become available via trade between now and you know, July and August. But what about adding to this group you know, slowly, could, the, could a strong finish create a greater incentive to be more aggressive for sort of like help pieces, i.e. an Isaiah Thomas, rather than game changers?
0: Well, I think they're going to try to get those either way. I think that what ha- what with this, this recent surge does is, if you're one of those, uh, you know, second-tier players, let's call them, um, you look at Boston's situation and you say, you know what? That coach seems to have something going on there. And, uh, you know, Marcus Smart's a nice young piece if Jared Selder can get his act together and, and you know, get himself in the kind of conditional shape that he wants, maybe that's another piece. So, you know, let's say if you're Chris Middleton, for instance, who's um gonna be up this summer and who everybody he's kind of become everybody's darling because analytically his numbers are eye popping if you believe in player efficiency rating, for instance, uh Chris Middleton's in the top ten in the league right now. So he's a he's a player that's uh, gonna get some attention and he's not gonna get the kind of attention The big names are. Uh, So either way, I really believe Boston was going to go after those kind of players anyhow. Listen, they've got some very, very valuable draft picks, not this year, but next year. Where are the Nets going to be in 2016? That's an unconditional first-round draft pick.
1: And then you can even also mention that the 2017 pick can be swapped and the 2018 is unconditional. Oh, pick. yeah. I
0: mean, I, we can go on. I know. Yeah. I, it, we can go on and on. It, it
1: very well. If the Celtics do, in fact, turn things around, and I kind of expect that they will, I mean, I've already thrown this term, phrase out there. I've already mentioned the Herschel-Walker trade uh, in regards to that particular trade. But you were mentioning free agents, and Boston certainly has a, the salary cap space, not just for you know a, a middle level player like Chris Middleton. It is interesting how you mentioned how I mean he's such a fan of, of the analytics community. We, as we all know, when we read Moneyball, those players have now tended to be a bit overvalued, not just in basketball but in every sport. I mean, between that and uh, I mean, who were some of the darlings like Jeremy Giambi and those guys who ended up getting decent sized contract based on some uh, sabermetric numbers, but. How much benefit do you think that this playoff push is going to be in terms of selling to free agents and other players across the board, be it like a Greg Monroe, you know, an upper echelon guy, or a mid level guy like Chris Middleton?
0: Well, I think it helps. I think it helps. But money talks, you know, are you going to pay me the salary I want? That's still going to be the bottom line with every player. Uh, so many of these players, they always say, oh, it's not about the money. It's almost always about the money. So I still think that that will be the bottom line.
1: And I think a, a big factor as well is has Brad Stevens, if you'd like to share maybe any stories yourself in terms of the amount of respect that Stevens has garnered across the league, do you have any insight there for us?
0: Oh, well absolutely. In fact, I, I was just uh, talking with Ryan McDonough, the, the assistant GM from the uh, the former assistant GM of the Celtics who now runs the Suns, and I was asking him, you know, what what would you say? What would you call a Brad Stevens team? What is it, you know, what's the signature uh, thing about that team? And he said they play hard and they play together, and that's the best compliment you can give uh, to an NBA coach, especially now because the Spurs won the NBA championship doing those two things last year. Uh, with, you know, without a, but they had superstars, but superstars passed their prime, which is so unusual. And so everybody's copycatting the way the Spurs played the game last year, which was move the ball, share the ball. That's what you see with the top two teams in each conference Golden State and Atlanta. They're both playing that style of basketball. So that's kind of the new look. And I think it's what Brad's trying to accomplish in Boston, obviously, with a lot less talent than those three teams I just mentioned. So that's going to be appealing. I think, to to anybody that wants a, a long-term future and wants a chance at winning. There's no question he—I would say that the thing that's interesting about Brad is where he seems to have the most credibility is among the coaches and the GMs of opposite teams because they know what he did at Butler, and they know how hard it was to accomplish what he did at Butler. And now they're looking at, at this team— and their late game heroics, which you know, as you know, earlier in the year it was going the other way on them. They'd have leads and they'd lose the leads, and then they couldn't close out games. Now uh, with this roster that Brad has, you're seeing that you're seeing something different. You're seeing a team that can win these games at the end, and you're seeing Brad diagram plays that uh, make sense in the final seconds of the game. So I think his stock was pretty high to begin with, but I think it's really skyrocketed over the last six weeks or so.
1: Yeah, what I found incredible is, I mean, it's, it's one thing to sort of read cliche quotes in the newspaper, or now we actually read them online. But what if you knew, when you now are able to watch these videos and watch these actual press conferences, not just with the Celtics, but other teams, it's amazing how opposing, like you said, especially opposing coaches, how they just seem to compliment Stevens without being incited to do so. It isn't like, you know, a reporter asking them, Oh, hey, what are your thoughts on the Celtics and Brad Stevens? It's it's like they go out of their way to to do so.
0: Well, I think that's because a lot of it has to do with his demeanor. You know, I was talking to Stan Van Gundy about this very thing. And, you know, Brad Stevens is hardly uh, someone that's pumping his own brakes, uh, pumping his own fuel here. He... Very rarely talks about himself. He always talks about whenever someone asks him a question about himself, he turns it to the team. Uh He's got this, you know, very very calm demeanor on the sidelines, win or lose. I mean, some of the biggest wins of the year. I, I, I actually was, you know, I'd be doing work for Comcast in the studio and I'd be yelling at him, "Come on, man, at least smile," you know. But this is what he, you know, this even keel. Calm demeanor, which is one of the reasons that Danny Ainge had coveted Brad Stevens for so long. He thought he had the right temperament for the NBA, and I think he's proven that he does. And I just think that's so important. I always remember talking to Larry Bird when he was with the Pacers. You know, for those three years that he coached the Pacers, and of course he got them to the finals, and they had some really heart-stopping wins during their their uh, postseason run there. And they'd go to the sidelines and they'd show Larry, and he just there'd be no expression, just expressionless. And I asked him later, well, why? You know, how do you, how are you able to do that? And he said, you have to do that because the players feed off you. They're looking at you. He said, it's really, really hard to do because inside your heart's pounding just like everybody else, and you want to jump up and down and wave your towel, but you can't, not as the head coach. And I think Brad Stevens understands that, and I think his peers respect it.
1: Yeah, I actually know one specific example of what you're talking about with Bird and the Pacers, that 98 Eastern Conference Finals when Reggie Miller hit that shot off the pick on the wing and they, and they cut to bird and Isaiah Thomas was on color commentary and bird was literally like a statue. I mean, like the whole place was going absolutely ballistic. And I know you mentioned it in your book, bird watching as well, which I read way back back now, but do you think that's, that's probably a far more effective way of coaching in this new age, as opposed to the old, say Pat Riley coaching where eventually it could work. Or even if you want to you know, do the hockey example of, say, like Mike Keenan or Pat Burns, where initially it could mm-hmm. light a fire under a team, but eventually players, they tune it out. Like the Lakers infamously tuned out Pat Riley uh, towards the end there. Um, mm-hmm. might, the Heat every year seemed to just run out of gas in the postseason. Is that just sort of the, the best way of, of coaching for long-term success is to be that even keel, like, say, obviously, a Greg Popovich?
0: I would say that's true, but I think it's really hard to do. And, uh, I mean, you know, look again, I'll go back to Stan Van. Who I think is a terrific coach, but there's no way you can get him to be that way. His emotion is one of his biggest strengths. It might also be one of his biggest weaknesses, but it's also, I mean, I look at Gino Ariana who coaches the UConn women. I mean, is there a better coach in college basketball men or women? I don't think so, but man, that guy, he has no problem showing his emotion. So I think it really depends on, uh, The Now, in college, your kids, the longest they can stay is four years, so there's turnover there. So in terms of tuning out, uh, you'd be crazy to tune out Genio RM. It would not end well for you. So maybe in the pros, it makes a little more sense to be that way. Uh, Phil Jackson certainly was always that way. Uh, Pop has his moments, and maybe that's part of it, too, picking the moment where you're going to react in an emotional manner uh, because it's more effective that way.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that there's a clear divide there in college, and obviously we saw that firsthand with the Patino example. I mean, it's you know Patino can obviously you know it's a, a lot harder for him to yell at millionaires and people making more money than he was, whereas opposed to he could certainly just say throw some kid at the back of the bench. You're not going to play when he's in college. You can't really do that in the pros, or else you can eventually lose the entire team. I want to touch on this topic very briefly, and then I really definitely want to get into that free agent discussion. But you mentioned earlier how. I think it's safe to say the team isn't too thrilled with maybe not Jared Solinger's development as a player. It's been, I'd say, adequate, especially if you consider he was picked with a 21st pick in the draft. But maybe of him as an individual, do you mind sort of leading us anywhere there?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think he's so talented. Uh, and, and you can see why he was so good at Ohio State. His hands are so soft. He's so great around the basket. Has a really good sense of how to rebound the ball he understands how to play the game. He has a chance, I think, to be very, very, very good. But he's too big, and that's just the bottom line. Now, you don't, you know, you're never going to get him down to 200 pounds or anything. I'm not saying that, but they have uh, things in place for all these players: nutritional guidelines, conditioning guidelines, and it's clear that Jared Holmeser didn't meet them, and as a result he's been injured i mean the back injury that he had a stress fracture in his foot back earlier in his career uh back in high school and college and now this this injury and they are weight related and you just there's just no way around that so he's at a crossroads he has some decisions to make um he's got to find a way to perform and look i know it's not easy um people who are big you know they're predisposed to it at times it's hereditary all that stuff but the nba is littered with all the dead bodies of all the Big guys that never lost the weight. I always go back to Oliver Miller, the Phoenix Sun Center, who was so immensely talented and, uh, you know, never fulfilled his potential. Glenn Davis is still in the league, but I don't know how sometimes. He looks at least 40 to 50 pounds over what he was here in Boston when he was under contract with a weight loss. So Jared Solange has got to figure this out. If he does, he'll be a huge part of this team. And uh, I, th- I don't think they've given up on him. I do think they will include him in their mix, but they need to see some changes from him, and they need to see them soon.
1: Yeah, you mentioned nutrition, and obviously I was discussing that sort of around January when Sollinger was starting to slow down a little bit, and I just sort of, you know, being at the games, I sort of noticed because at the beginning of the season, he came in, he looked slimmer, and then all of a sudden he got to January, and it was like, okay, how did he put on weight from training camp to – now, when he's playing basketball four times a week, and I assume practicing in those other times, so I don't know. Maybe they should just bar Sullinger from the north end or something like that, or you know, just say you really can't go there or something like that. Because yeah. right, it's yeah. clear that that there's something that have to do with these with him eating. And I, I know you also mentioned some specific examples too, and and that's obviously very true. Remember, Oliver Miller just completely ate his way out of the league, and. And players, obviously, too, are human beings, as anybody gets older, obviously, you start, I mean, you know, testosterone numbers start dropping. So you can't exactly, you know, you're going to be burning far less fat and everything. So, obviously, he has to remain vigilant there. There's no question about it. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how it's going to play out. But I definitely want to touch upon this because I, I wrote about it today. And the comment about, you know, free agents not wanting to play in Boston, I mean— this is part of my take on that in the sense that the Celtics in the last 30 years, I mean, have they gotten big-name free agents to play for them? No, but, I, you know, you look, they've only had, they've, they've only operated under the salary cap 1992, 1994, and 1997. So it's really hard for them to say, like, oh, well, they haven't signed Shaquille O'Neal. That's proof that, you know, nobody wants to play in Boston. I don't think that's fair. Am I, am I right to say that?
0: Well, I understand. That's a fair point. That's a very fair point, but there's a reason, you know, there's always pushback. I mean, remember, Kevin Garnett did not want to come here, just unequivocally did not want to come here, and it wasn't until they pulled the deal for Ray Allen that he changed his mind and decided to come, in part, I think, because his situation in Minnesota was so untenable, and then he agreed to come to Boston. He really wanted to go to L.A., and the Lakers wanted him, but in the end, they made the deal with Boston. So... There is something to it. I think it's the cold weather. It's a very provincial city, lots of things like that. Uh, but you are right. This is the first time in maybe ever they've had the kind of cat space they're going to have. And money talks, as I said before. The bottom line is people will pay money. Uh, if you pay them money, they'll come. Now the, the question becomes do you get the player that you want? You don't want to overpay for somebody Uh, Just to have him come. So it's got to be the right mix. But I I do think it's, I, I, I don't think we can dismiss it out of hand. I do think it's a real issue with this team.
1: Yeah, I think another real good example in regards to the player pushback in terms of coming to Boston, I think a better example than Kevin Garnett because when, I mean, during that Kevin Garnett thing, the Celtics were a terrible team. And I think that players were really pushing back then. And it wasn't just Garnett that summer, if you recall, it was Garnett. Sean Marion, Richard Jefferson, and Jermaine O'Neal were three players through their agents at least, I don't know, uh, you know, quote-unquote NBA sources, did not want to quote-unquote play in Boston. But I think a real good example of the pushback I thought was initially was Chris Paul in 2011 when the Celtics were actually a good team and whether these stories were true, he didn't want to sign an extension in Boston. But, I mean, when, when they actually get here, they, they seem to love it. I mean, the, and what, I've, what I mentioned also today in the piece was while the Celtics haven't lured a big-name free agent, they also haven't lost a big-name free agent except Ray Allen. You know, we all know how that's sort of, you know, why he left.
0: Yeah. No, listen, it's, they're a great organization. They've got very stable ownership. They've got a, a longtime general manager that's been in the league a long time as a coach, a player, and now as a GM. And uh, they're, they're certainly not doing things on the cheap. Uh, they've got a, you know, there's not an arena issue. There's not an attendance issue. So there's, you know, there's plenty of good reasons to come and play for the Boston Celtics, not to mention the rich history and all of that. Uh, so it's, I, I don't, I, I can't criticize the Celtics uh, for their front office or for their ownership because I think they've done a great job.
1: And I think what a, a real underlying sell point and why I personally think making the postseason would be beneficial to the team and not just to say, hey, we got this up-and-coming roster, is I think one very under underrated aspect in terms of what players want is a good home environment. I mean, players love to play in Golden State because they truly have the best fans in the NBA. And I think if the Celtics make the postseason and that playoff crowd is, say, exposed to just about everybody, even if it's for two games— let in three, God forbid, three. They get to like six games as an eight seed. I think if if any free agent saw that and saw that atmosphere, I mean, you saw Josh Smith in the playoffs a few years ago, just rave about the Celtics crowd. I think that'd be that's a small, not not a key selling point. As you all know, it's about money, obviously. But that's sort of a small thing that I think that some certain players would like to see.
0: Well, certainly
1: anyone from Atlanta, <laughs> yeah, if they're I mean, you know, Orlando, that's, I think that we we don't have to go into that.
0: Yeah fans from Philly haven't really been very supportive and you can't blame them because their team is, you know, I was in Milwaukee last year uh, doing play, uh, was that last year? I think it was. Yeah, last year I did the uh, I filled in for for uh, Tommy doing the play, the uh, color with Mike Gorman. So we were at a game in Milwaukee in January and of course this is before Jabari Parker came aboard and, uh, I mean, Andrew Wiggins came aboard, excuse me, and uh I'm telling you, it was dead there. And this is Kareem's numbers up in the rafters, you know. And they they, they have such a long, great history going back to Don Nelson and and Sickman, Pressey, and all the great ones that played there. And that place was half full. It was it was it was about maybe eight thousand people there. It was dismal. And uh, so it's easy to forget that that's that's uh, where that's there's a lot of uh, well not a lot but there are some NBA franchises that deal with that. That's Hardly ever been true in Boston. I mean, even last year, as bad as they were, that place was jumping. It wasn't always sold out, but it was jumping. It was moving. So you're right. It's, a, you know, Sacramento, when they win, they have good fans. When they lose, it's, it can be very dismal. There's a lot of places like that. Toronto's always had trouble drawing. Atlanta, of course, we know even as good as they are now, they still, they still are running gimmicks to get people in the building.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny how you mentioned how painful it was watching, say, a game in Milwaukee in the middle of January. I think that's always been like an NBA problem in in the sense that, I mean, when there's like bad basketball as a fan, it's like pulling teeth. So I can only imagine what it's like to deal with like that as a player coming into work every night in front of a half-filled crowd, I mean, with no noise at all. But I really want to finish up with... With this just simple question, can we pretty much? Uh, this is a very bland, but can we pretty much call this 2015 Boston Celtics season a success, no matter what happens here?
0: Um. Yes, I think so. I think so. Um, although, you know, if they do make the playoffs it's the eighth seed and they get swept, and uh, and you know they end up with a middling draft pick again, maybe some people will feel differently, and I'll understand people feeling that way, but. It's just really hard to count on the draft and count on ping pong balls. And, boy, has anyone had worse luck? I'm sure there are teams that have had worse luck than the Celtics. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. You know, it's, it's not a, a, a great strategy to try to be as awful as possible And get the highest draft pick you can it made sense last year because they were going to be awful anyway because of the decisions they made and we all understood why they made those decisions and they were the right decisions. it was time to move on it was you had a new coach um you had some superstars that were aging that weren't going to you know win it all with you all that made sense to me so i understand i think everything they've done this year again i think those draft picks really hold the key to everything here I believe that, those future draft picks and what becomes of those. And what's nice about those is it's not going to be your team that has to try to lose. It's going to be someone else. You know, someone, it's going to be out of your hands. And I, the Brooklyn Mets are in such flux. Uh, their owner wants out. I think the GM is probably going to get bounced. They, who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, but you just feel like they're going to be bad for a little while, and it's, it's going to benefit the Celtics, and that's the perfect scenario. Your team, you put a team on the floor that's doing the best it can, and you're going to get a high draft pick because of the ineptness of somebody else, and that's that's a great position to be in.
1: I think flux was, I thought, a very kind word you use. It almost seems like that they're like they're like the old Ted and Cleveland Cavaliers giving away those draft choices and. You know the good teams like the Celtics and the Lakers. They used to hold them, and they just sort of watched and laughed, and was what they were appealing. And I think the Lakers right. ended up getting like James Worthy out of them. It was it was something just ridiculous. I, I
0: yeah, but, but you know the difference though is Stepion was cheap. This guy isn't. This guy's got deep, deep, deep pockets. He wants out, but until he's out, you know he's got more money than almost all those other owners put together.
1: All right, I lied. I'm going to ask one more question, but it's going to be almost a borderline yes or no question. It's a very simple question that even the most Simpleton fans want to hear. Do the Celtics sign sort of an upper echelon free agent this summer?
0: No, I don't. Upper echelon, no. I think they'll get a nice—I think they'll convince somebody, maybe like a Chris Middleton, to come aboard. But, you know, I know people are fantasizing about Kevin Love that's just not going to happen. I don't think Kevin Love is going anywhere because I think that was probably prearranged, honestly. Why would you, if you were the Cleveland Cavaliers, deal away Andrew Wiggins to Minnesota, who, you know, who might be one, who, you know, is going to be rookie of the year and could be in, going forward one of the great players in our league, one of the great young players in our league, for Kevin Love if you didn't know that he was going to stick around. So that, to me, is a bit of a fantasy for, for players, for uh, Celtics fans, and I hear it a lot because, you know, Remember when he had breakfast with Rondo, by the way, Rondo was still here. He's not even here anymore. So um, I really think it's going to be a mid-level. I, I think they'll get somebody to help them. I just don't think it's going to be a big splash. And, and I'm not sure it needs to be this summer. I think everybody's got to be a little patient and uh, and hang in there with Brad Stevens. they got the right coach, as uh, Danny said in the other day. He's our future. And he's the, if you if you said what's the biggest asset the Boston Celtics have right now, it's their coach.
1: Great way to finish this off. Jackie McMullen, ESPN Boston, where you can check out all of her great work. Obviously a great author as well. I mentioned Bird Watching earlier in the interview. There's plenty of other books as well that you can check out. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us on Celtics Beat. It's my pleasure, Larry. Pleasure is all ours, Jackie, especially our audience's been requested for a long long time to make this happen so glad we did as i mentioned definitely check out jackie's work on espn boston although my guess is you probably do but her books as well she's she's done so many with players obviously i mentioned bird watching which i read actually way way back now she's i was in high school when i read that that was when larry was coaching the pacers where people forget now three seasons at a 700 winning percentage larry had it with indiana Went to the Eastern Conference Finals at all three seasons, made the NBA Finals once back in 2000. In those Eastern Conference Finals that they lost in 1998, no team gave the Chicago Bulls a better run for their money during the Jordan Dynasty. People forget, not only did the Pacers take the Bulls to seven, they actually had a big, albeit early lead in that seventh game. They were up by like 16 or 17 points. But they were even up by five late. But that game really swung when Rick Smiths lost a jump ball and right to Steve Kerr's hands, who nailed a three off a jump ball, it totally changed the whole complexion of that game. And ultimately, Chicago did prevail. And then ninety nine. I don't even want to get into that. That ridiculous call on Antonio Davis got Larry Johnson a four point play. So let's just I mean stop there. That was just silly. But. Yes, please. Cannot encourage our listeners enough who I know read Jackie Avalie online now or definitely read her back in the day when she was writing for The Globe. Watch her on TV on ESPN, elsewhere as well. But please check out her books. They're phenomenal. When the Game was Ours, she did that with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, which spawned that awesome documentary on HBO a few years ago, which I remember I had the privilege to see at the TD Garden as a season ticket holder. I know she's done a book with Shaq as well. Exceptional basketball writer and basketball mind. And as expected, Jackie provided us with so much insight and general intellect in that interview, and there's truly no place to start. We could have a whole other show dissecting that entire segment, just great stories from Jackie, particularly on not just what she thinks of the Celtics organization and the place that they're at, but the stories that she told of those in and around the league. The amount of respect this organization and this particular Celtics team is conjuring up for opposing members of management staff. Uh, coaches, players, I mean, obviously we who not only cover this team but have emotional investments in the Boston Celtics franchise, we love, uh, we definitely like hearing that sort of confirmation, especially from Jackie's end. And like I said, we could go on and on all day about all the many topics that were touched upon, Brad Stevens and the work that he's done. I mean, it's just remarkable. Great stuff from Jackie there too. But uh, considering I wrote a bit about this in my call today, now running on clnsradio.com, Should we talk about free agency? Yes, once again on this show, particularly this summer. You know where I stand. I personally think the Celtics will be aggressive uh, this summer, no doubt about it. Obviously, uh, depending on if certain circumstances fall that way. Because obviously, as stated, maybe a player does come available on the trade market, and that's where much of the attention is going to be directed towards. And if the Celtics do, in fact... There we say it, acquire such a player on the market. You know That salary space the team now has would have to be used to absorb a player or players with that big contract who could truly make a real impact. But I do think that if things fall into place, the Celts will not only explore that avenue, be it free agency, but I, I believe they're going to be fairly aggressive. I've certainly been banging that Greg Monroe drum on this show and in my columns for the last whenever now, so I don't want to go on and on again about him as I've now got endless time on this show and thousands of word and spaces in my columns to explain why I believe he'd be such a good fit in Boston. And obviously Jackie mentioned how Kevin Love won't be realistic if for largely due to the fact that, if anything, he's going to stay in Cleveland. And if and if he does go anywhere, I'm not sure if you heard, but Alonzo Mourning did come out earlier this week that he mentioned the Lakers is pretty much going to be the, their Prime destination, if he does, in fact, go oh, somewhere else. And I truly hope, and I, don't, I know this is sadly and unfortunately a reach, but I truly hope that if the Celtics do not get a Greg Monroe this offseason, or whomever, be it Monroe, Dream on Green, Love, whatever, please don't use this as, oh, this is just another example of no one wanting to play in Boston. Because, I mean, just an FYI, it's simple math, people, here. The, the percentages do not are not in the Celtics' favor in terms of signing free agents most of the time because uh, there's many other teams involved here. That's just basic math. So it's not the Celtics or another. It's not Celtics or Team B. It's Celtics and everyone else. So it's not that the odds aren't in the Celtics' favor because it's Cole Boston. Obviously, we know that doesn't help. But it's because they're not in their favor because just based on simple math alone, the Celtics are going to be one of 10 zillion teams pursuing these players. So uh, just some advice this summer, guys. If the only fireworks you see are those at the 4th of July and you're upset at that, please just take a chill pill or maybe GABA, uh, actually. And I think I'd suggest GABA since it's a natural substance. I'm definitely not going to give you the advice to take synthetic drugs like, you know, uh, some. <laughs> all right. We know I have. Uh, anyways, back to business here. I did uh, find it very, very interesting though, how Chris Middleton's name was mentioned and mentioned numerous times throughout that interview. Something tells me that Jackie, as knowledgeable as she is about NBA basketball, and we all know there are few in the NBA media circles who do possess more knowledge. As she, you know, is not in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame for nothing. But something tells me that Jackie may have been insinuating something there. Definitely leading myself and to those listening to this show that there is something. So let's under operate under the assumption that the Boston Celtics organization does in fact have interest in pursuing Chris Middleton this offseason. I mean Middleton is a he's a lanky, I think he's like six seven, six eight, somewhere around there. I know he's a swing man. Very versatile offensive game, sort of a jack-of-all-trades-like, but he's made a lot of improvements this year, especially to his game offensively since coming in a league, which is something that everybody likes to see, be it coaches and fans, because it shows a real commitment in terms of getting better, and it it shows a lot of competitiveness, which is something that I wish we saw from other former Celtics. But this year, he's really made a lot of strides in terms of shooting from the outside. I think he's he's almost assuredly north of 40% shooting from downtown, that's definitely something that you'd like to see from a swing man. Definitely something that the Celtics really want. They're always trying to add to getting more shooters on this team. Opens up everything, things for everybody else. But it's also his defense, too. He can, guard, he can guard a few positions, and particularly his defensive efficiency numbers. They sort of just jump right at you. But reports are that the Milwaukee Bucks, they'll match any offer that comes Milton's way, as he is a restricted free agent. And usually teams are going to say that regardless, like, oh, we'll match any offer because if the Boston Celtics or any other team, I mean, if they offer Chris Middleton a max offer sheet, I I mean, come on, will Milwaukee actually match that? So that's also Milwaukee just pl- doing their due diligence and playing the cards their way. But if the Celtics do make a fair market value offer, and let's call that around like, like 9 or 10 million, people might jump out of that and go, wow, but... I think we should sort of say that it should almost be a surely north of what Avery Bradley makes if we want to use any players on this roster as barometer. And let's say that they do something like that, and Milwaukee threatens to match. Would Middleton be worth maybe trying to talk the Bucks into facilitating a sign and trade with? Like much had Kyle Middleton was acquired by Milwaukee in the first place, as they acquired him and Brandon Knight in a sign-and-trade with Detroit for Brandon Jennings' services. But would the Celtics, or even you as a fan, actually, would you be willing to surrender assets that they have for a player like a Middleton if it meant paying a guy like Middleton a salary that's a little more suited for his skills? Or do you go maybe the Houston Rockets route, which they did with Jeremy Lin a few years ago when they really overpaid him and made an offer that they just didn't want the Knicks to match. Would you think that it would be intelligent on the Celtics end to do something like that, where you make Milwaukee think twice about matching such offer, and you, dare we say it, maybe give Chris Middleton a little more than he's worth? So it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way, but that goes about the process of actually trying to improve the talent base of your team. Now you got to give up a little to get a little, or give up a lot to get medium. (laughs) I don't know. So it's just a question of, do you surrender assets that could be used to facilitate a bigger deal down the line or the opportunity to continue to add through the draft? Or do you surrender some salary space by spending a bit more coin to lower a potential contributor like a Chris Middleton to your team? It's a good question. would love to have some open dialogue with our audience on this one. So feel free to post any thoughts you may have on this or anything regarding the summer with the Celtics or right now as uh, they continue their playoff push tonight against the Detroit Pistons and later this week as well. Just log on to facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. That's facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Post your comments pretty much anywhere on the page. I'll be sure to get back to you. Like I said, anything from the summer, free agency, the drafts, trades, or right now because we know how imperative right now is for the Celtics as they continue their improbable quest for that final playoff spot. Or the final two for that matter. We'll get ready for the game tonight against Rick Monroe and his Detroit Pistons, as well as the huge week ahead that lies for the Boston Celtics. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Celtics Beat, powered by Lynda.com and Peak Organic Brewing Company on CLNS Radio.
0: Slash CLNS.
1: Welcome back into Celtics Beat. This is Larry H. Russell. Hey, there's a game tonight. Uh, Who knew, right? Uh, The Boston Celtics, they're back at it again. And we'll be pretty much all week. Game tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday, Friday. Before getting back here on Sunday again. Week after that is stuffed as well. But it begins tonight. Yes, as stated. Celtics get their first-hand look at Greg Monroe in his Detroit Pistons. Early Sunday evening tip, 6 p.m. tonight at the TD Garden. CLNS Radio will be live following the contest with the post-game show on clnsradio.com. And if you missed that, you can always head on over to iTunes and Stitcher and listen to the show on demand. Just as you can with this show. But about that game tonight, pretty big one for the Celtics. Obviously coming off the two losses against these powerhouse Western Conference foes not only want to stay alive in this playoff chase, they want to get back in some winning ways here, want to rebound from these two losses in a row where the Celtics were up against some very sturdy competition, Reestablish that positive vibe which was surrounding the team there these last few weeks. Because this week coming up, it's going to be very tough. While the Celtics do play four games here, all against teams under 500, I mean, this is a lot of work now. As stated, Detroit's here tonight. A team that, because of their size, not just Monroe, and how well he's been playing, but Andre Drummond up front, we know bigger teams can always give the Celtics issues. Then you turn right around and face the Brooklyn Nets down there tomorrow night. Boston has had some great recent success on back-to-backs, as we all know, recently. But that isn't something you can bank on going forward and can always catch up to everyone, any team, particularly a young team like the Celtics. That's a pretty tricky spot. It'd certainly be more than forgivable if Boston dropped that game. I'll be a little more forgivable if they can take care of business tonight because you'd like to see the Celtics win one of these next two here before the real big one, which is Miami here on Wednesday night. Obviously, that's a game with tremendous playoff implications. Boston and Miami are pretty much neck and neck here. The Heat did have a real solid week with some good wins, highlighted earlier in the week with a victory against Cleveland. They've opened up a little space, but the head-to-head matchup here on Wednesday could change that. That's essentially two games. And for the Celtics' perspective, it's very important because if Miami wins that game, they'll take the season series 3-1. That's the tiebreaker if it comes down to it. They'd have a tiebreaker. If Boston does grab that game, they can even up the season series at 2-2. So to say that that game doesn't have massive playoff implications, not just for the Celtics and the Heat, actually, for the rest of these teams challenging for this playoff spot with the Hornets and Indiana, to say that game doesn't have these massive playoff implications is in understatement to say the least so pending on what happens these next two nights could very well be the biggest game at the garden during the still very young and still very green brad stevens era so that could be a great game to check out on wednesday especially if you're a fan it should be a good atmosphere down there and is it just me or is everything lining up for an isaiah thomas return that night that Wednesday night against Miami. Sounds like Stevens has ruled him out here tonight against Detroit and tomorrow against Brooklyn, these next two games. But that would set everything up for a return bout against the team and the player, Dwayne Wade, who knocked him out these last two weeks now. Can't believe it's been that long. So there could be some added motivation there for Isaiah Thomas and the Celtics, which I'm sure the Celtics and their fans would like to see. So that should be a lot of fun. Definitely a great game to be at as well. Every makings of a wild night at the Garden, you got the villain Dwayne Wade in the building after injuring another one of the Celtics players in his career, this time Isaiah Thomas, who we think should be back that evening. And once again, as stated, a game with huge playoff implications. Uh, Me, personally, I'm definitely looking forward to Wednesday night, but as stated, that game would lose a lot of its luster if Boston doesn't take care of business in at least one of these next two contests coming up here tonight and tomorrow. Particularly tonight would help because one would think the game was a bit more winnable and that you'd hope the team returning home could be a bit more desperate to not let these last two games turn into a losing streak after playing so well for so long now. So tonight would be absolutely crucial for the Celts to get off on the right foot. Great week to pick up some wins and maintain this playoff pace. Like I said, all games against sub-500 foes, but keyword. Games. It's plural. There's a lot of them. Pistons tonight, Nets tomorrow, Heat Wednesday. Then they're down in New York on Friday night. Come back here Sunday. The week after that's full. The week after that is full. The week after that is full. Very similar weeks are going to be following this week. There's no rest for the weary for the Boston Celtics as they sprint to the finish line. And no rest for the weary here on Celtics Beat. Let's go around the NBA in five Big injury news, Kevin Durant shut down, no timetable to return. First off, so much for that Oklahoma City dynasty though, huh? I mean, let's go all the way back to the summer of 2012 when they had that run to the NBA finals and there was that huge debate among Celtics fans of, boy, what would have been better if the team got Kevin Durant in the draft lottery or what ended up happening, they ended up making the trade for Kevin Garnett. I think it's safe to say the trade for Kevin Garnett worked out okay in that regard. You just can't bank on everything, people. When the Thunder made the NBA Finals that season, people were just booking them for four or five NBA championships because they had this young team, very young team, all players in their early, early 20s, and they all assumed that they'd be back there. It's not looking like that right now. There's a very good chance that Kevin Durant could bolt after next season And that would blow that whole thing up. And it should be just almost like basically Shaquille O'Neal and the Orlando Magic in that sense, too. The Magic made the finals when they were very young in 1995. They got swept. But that was an extraordinarily young team. And before everybody knew it, it was all gone. And about a year and a half before that Magic team broke up, people had them winning four or five championships. Other team infamously ordained a dynasty. If you want to go to baseball, I remember the 1990 Seattle Mariners with a young Griffey and A-Rod, two players who were going to be like the greatest players of all time. They were surrounded by, I mean, they had you know, Jay Buhner on that team as well. Randy Johnson was an ace. Once again, people were just, you know, pegging that team for championships on end. You never know. I mean, when you get winning a championship is very hard. And Kevin Durant, that team's been snakebitten by injuries since they made the NBA Finals. They lost Westbrook in a, in a playoffs one season. Durant now is banged up this year. You just never know. And like I said, it's very, very likely, especially after that Harden trade, that Kevin Durant could bolt after next season. And now he's already lost for this season, it sounds like. But some positive injury news because while Kevin Durant is on his way out, Paul George is on his way back. The Indiana Pacers star could return within this week, possibly as soon as Saturday night. Many people, actually many Celtics fans, fear that this is going to hurt the Celtics' playoff chances. It could, but I'm not so sure here. Pacers need to adjust to his return. They've been playing much better basketball recently, although they've lost him the last couple of games here. They were on that long winning streak. And to say that Paul George is going to be rusty, I think it's pretty safe to say that that's going to be the case. And not only just rusty, but I would say pretty timid as well. That's a... a big mental block to come back from such a severe injury as well. I don't think Indiana is going to jump right back to that pace where they were at in 2012 and 2013-14 when they were winning 50, you know, 50-60 games. That's going to take some time I think for that Pacers team to readjust. So, that's going to be something very interesting to keep an eye on. Let's go actually back, go back to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell Westbrook with his ninth triple-double back on Friday night. MVP candidate, no, that's a team. That unfortunately, like I said, they've had the injuries all year, so they're just fighting for their playoff lives. So they're pretty much locked into the spot now, but albeit they're at the bottom. So I don't see him getting the MVP, particularly over Steph Curry or James Harden, two elite teams in the Western Conference. But it's very interesting that he seems to have such a great incentive to really elevate his game without Kevin Durant. I harken back to a contest in boston in around like november or december 2010 when he came in here without kevin durant and he had put on a great show i want to say he had about 35 points he really seems to step up his game without durant i don't know if that's a thing where he you know just doesn't like Durant, but he definitely likes being the batman more than the robin that's for sure he's having a phenomenal season a lot of fun to check out and watch Final topic here, salary cap to jump to $105 million by 2017. 2016, it's going to be around $90, $95 million. Hey, they're making a lot of money, but these players, they definitely deserve it. The growth of the league has been amazing these last really 20, 30 years, and the players have a lot to do with it. But really, especially the last seven to eight, I'd say the NBA, like no other professional sports league, has really benefited off of social media Internet 2.0. Their global outreach is outstanding, and they're make, making this a truly interactive league. And not only that, it's almost 24-7, 365, outside of maybe a few weeks in August where it's a little quiet. And that's because they are very pragmatic. They're very cutting edge. The NBA and their offices, they're always looking for new ways to enhance their product. Baseball, you might want to take note. They've always been sort of stuck in the 1950s for so long, No I wonder that league has falling off, but guys like LeBron, Durant, they'll be paid salaries more attuned to their skills and merit. The only thing to watch for is now we're going to see some average players get some pretty impressive paydays, so that'll be a little intriguing in itself, but that's it for round the NBA in five, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Jules Conroy, Ostra Vex, and Steph LeGrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics beat. Also give us a check out on Google Plus, Celtics beat on CLNS. I'd like to thank our guest, Jackie McMullen of ESPN Boston. So glad we could make that happen. Love to thank our sponsors, Linda.com and Peak Organic Brewing Company for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, and myself, the executive producer and host of Selick's Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with another edition of Celex Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.